Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. Nora, how does my voice sound today? You sound, um, you sound good. Did you feeling better than last week? <laughs> I wasn't sick last week. I don't know what happened. I was losing my voice for some reason, and I don't remember yelling at anyone. So my theory was that it's the pollution in the air out here, which, you know, people actually check how the pollution is day by day. Because sometimes it's it's actually really bad out here for people uh, who are sensitive. And perhaps I'm one of those people, I'm not sure. But I was just <laughs> losing my voice for a couple of weeks there. But it's back. And so thankfully our listeners don't have to be subjected to that this week. I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, it's also a good maybe opportunity to let people know that we're going to take a little break. We're going to take a break. We're going to rest our voices. We're going to take December off mm-hmm. and come back mm-hmm. fresh and new in 2019 when January gets back started. So, Or uh, beaten and broken because I failed all <laughs> of my exams. But, you know, that's, <laughs> you know it, it'll be fine because this is still the most fun thing that I do. <laughs> so it'll be great <laughs> to return to. It is not possible for you to fail all of your exams, but we <laughs> will true. all be thinking of you. Thank you. While you are <laughs> trudging through the the exam life that so many of us have left behind extremely intentionally. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I feel like those are good life choices for most people. But because it's our last show, uh, I thought it might be a good idea for us to kind of take stock at, of everything all together uh, that we've kind of discussed over the year and just kind of look at what 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 one of the big lessons were in all of everything that we've talked about. And I'm kind of thinking that one of those big messages is, um, well, the importance of this podcast. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but kind of. Yes. Uh, what I mean is like the importance of uh, people making their own alternative media. Yes. Yes. And to do that, it takes a little bit of support from a community. And so let's start off actually just by thanking the folks who who uh, changed their pledges or who uh, joined on to our Patreon in the last month because we've seen quite a spike in donations, which has been really wonderful. So I want to just uh, say thank you so much to Jonathan, to Kusha, Juanita, Jordan, Conrad, Robert, Glenn, Patrick, Trevor, Zara, Froggy Bear, Leslie, Renee, and everyone else who's an ongoing donor whose names we don't necessarily see pop up all the time. But you folks uh, make this possible. And I don't know about you, Sandy, but in 2019, like maybe we should make a goal of us actually getting a little salary for the podcast. What? I mean, (laughs) (laughs) That would be, that would help with the student loan. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I say that because people should know, of course, we, we personally don't get any money for our uh, our episodes. Um, we've got enough costs to kind of keep things going. But if we do get into uh, a level of, of, of support financially that we can actually start making maybe $50 per episode, that would be, that would be sweet. So tell your friends, up your, up your donations if you have the capacity to do so, uh, or just keep sharing the podcast with folks that you think would find it interesting. And we will, we'll, we appreciate that. And, and hopefully, if we start reading some of our levels, Sandy, what are we going to do? We 
are going to well the, the next level is to have two live shows so as we said last week uh, Edmonton you're number one on our list and then I'm hoping somewhere on the east coast because I've never been to the east coast will be number two but then next our next level uh, we've committed to uh, doing some podcast workshops uh, because we want to make sure that people are uh, have the ability to do what we're doing uh, to create alternative media and to um, talk to people in their communities and beyond their communities about the things that they're passionate about, about the ideas that they have, about the criticisms that they have about the world. Because right now, I think in the type of world that we're living in, it's really hard to break through to uh, the mass media uh, to get particular voices heard. We just saw over the last couple of weeks a lot of layoffs and jobs ending for journalists, uh, for very important journalists in particular news sources that are, are pretty devastating. And in a world where uh, someone like Robin Urbach gets shuffled around from place to place and uh, just keeps getting hired for no reason, you know, it's important that people uh, like us and like some of our listeners are able to create their own media if, you know, the, the Canadian mass media landscape isn't willing to listen to us or to provide us an opportunity to, to be heard. Yeah, it's been something that uh, I've obviously been dealing with for all of 2019. And so because I'm dealing with it, I'm thinking a lot about it. And this is going to be the theme of this episode, which is just what happens to society's political literacy, our collective identity, our ability to debate and discuss ideas when our media becomes further and further out of reach of average people. And that out of reachness, I mean, uh, physical location. So lots of, of communities in this country just don't even have any local news at all. There is a, a massive distance between between the like federal politics coverage and what average people actually care about or what they experience on a daily basis. And it is really changing, uh, creating a massive gulf between people and, and the news that they consume. And we're seeing the impacts of that all over the place and we're not talking about that enough we're not talking about how democracy actually does rely on a well-informed and engaged citizenry and when you don't have that partly because you've got such a crisis in news uh, the, the democracy starts to kind of fall apart and I, and I think that if we're looking at 2019 as a year overall, is this a year that we got better or got worse in 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 levels of citizen engagement in in the news media and in in political discourse and discussion? As I think we can all agree that everything has has gotten considerably worse. <laughs> the decline of our news media, um, and I do think it's in decline. Like, I, and I think that that's something that needs to uh, to be recognized. It really has a negative effect on people's public engagement in everything from the way strikes and uh, uh, labor actions are covered or not covered uh, to the way that people have the ability to talk about blackface or not talk about blackface or uh, the stunted ways uh, that our news media uh, cannot engage with uh, foreign policy at all or issues uh, abroad, um, which make uh, our complicitness, your complicity or implications as as uh, uh, people 
of Canada uh, in some of what's happening internationally, um, even more stark uh, to uh, our complete inability to discuss uh, the climate crisis. And all, all of those realities make for a public uh, who is being kept from uh, the type of engagement that they w- would perhaps want to be engaged with, but can't um, because the information simply isn't there. And I mm-hmm. know that some of our information, uh, some of our uh, listeners have that information uh, for, for any number of these topics. And so I think that some of the solution is going to have to be uh, creating our own media. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, uh, Nora and I are obviously doing a version of that. And uh, for some of you, you know, we've got some really smart, talented folks who are uh, who listen to us and who uh, send us messages. If you have some time, it might be something mm-hmm. you want to think about because uh, times are getting kind of rough and we need we need um, an informed public, a literate public on many of these issues that I've just raised and we don't have it and the mass media isn't bringing us there. Yeah, I think it's useful maybe for us to break it down in a couple of different ways. How exactly are we witnessing uh, this transformation in in news that's available to us? And so, you know, we've got the news media, which is obviously shrinking. There were layoffs announced at the Star Daily newspapers across Canada. So that's more than 100 journalists who are losing their jobs. There is a new startup that was recently uh, launched in Toronto uh, uh, that was connected to uh, BlogTO. The name is, escapes me and they just basically laid off really good people. So I'm not even going to say their name anyway. I think it was Fresh Daily. <laughs> yeah. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. Um, and, and in their place, I'm seeing a lot of people sharing things that shouldn't really be shared. And so I'm going to say one uh, news uh, outlet that basically exists by just uh, stealing uh, other news, which is, uh, I'm just going to say their, their initials are TPM. And they keep writing about me, and they've written about Sandy, and they're very uh, syphilitic. Um, but whoa, they've written about me. Well, they've written I think about both of us together, but then also about me a bunch oh. of times. <laughs> they are. That's how much I care. <laughs> they are perpetuating uh, news that is getting shared more and more, and it's really worrying because there's absolutely nothing on the left that has been able to do a similar situation. They, these guys are like right wing propagandists. And I'm still seeing average people sharing their their stories, partly because people aren't don't have anything else to share. Like we want to inform one another, and and the news that seems more or less neutral gets shared from these websites that aren't neutral at all. This is the future I think that we're going to see of news, where we have the post media chain that, despite the best efforts of really excellent journalists who work at at many of Canada's like great daily newspapers. Their bosses, the bosses of the post media chain, are 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 blatantly conservative. That they will not support any journalism that's going to challenge the status quo in a way that that isn't done safely, right? And so you might have some really good stories in the the, the Star Phoenix or in the Gazette, Montreal Gazette, but it's never going to come close to what a newspaper like the Winnipeg Free Press is able to do because, of course, they're still an, an independent newspaper. 
So the, 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 the news media getting smaller and smaller and smaller is a massive problem. And at the same time, uh, one, one journalist, Stephen Marr, on Twitter this week, he shared a graph that, that, that tracked the number of journalists versus the number of advertising, marketing, and PR workers in Canada. I don't know, Sandy, if you, did you see this? No, I didn't. It's really um, not at all surprising and an extremely good uh, visual representation of how deeply fucked we truly are. So the number of journalists has actually remained kind of steady, even though the news media has shrunk. Uh, there are different kind of ways that people have been able to continue to make journalism in this country. And so the the, the, the little bar representing journalists is, is kind of somewhere around uh, 17,000 in this graph. The marketing, PR, and, and advertising workers went from 40,000 in 1988 to above 120,000 today. So we were talking about 17,000 on the journalist side and 120,000 plus on the, on the flack, on the, on the PR beat. <laughs> wow. What? Yeah. That's, that is an incredible stat, if true. Where, where, <laughs> do we know where the data is coming from? So this information was shared by Stephen Marr, but it's uh, coming from an article by Sabrina Wilkinson at JSource. Um, and so JSource is like an industry uh, online news source. So if you're interested in, in journalism news, you should check out JSource. They often have the, the most up-to-date information about who's leaving what uh, outlet. And so this article, take, take a look uh, for it. It's called Canadian Journalism in Decline, Fewer Permanent Jobs, Less Security. And it goes through what the impact of this change uh, is um, based on data from the Labour Force Survey uh, from Statistics Canada. It, that has a profound impact on our ability to understand what's a lie, our, uh, the ability of politicians and corporations to manipulate us, uh, for, for, for poli politicians and business people to be corrupt and to hide corruption. And it is just going to get worse um, as we don't really see any new full-time journalism jobs on the horizon. I mean, that, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm still like really wowed by that statistic. It, uh, it really does put a lot into perspective <laughs> over what's happened this year. I mean, let's not uh, forget the way that, say, the, the People's Party of Canada was covered. You know, uh, let's not forget the way that Wexit has been covered even more. You know, if the priority is PR and the educational aspect of news uh, comes second to PR, then, of course, we get the sort of coverage that we saw of SNC-Lavalin, of uh, the People's Party of Canada, of Maxime Bernier's nothing party of Wexit, of all of these issues, because uh, if the goal is to sell or, you know, to, you know, make people buy their way past the paywall, well, then... <laughs> yeah, what what a what a really a terrible state of affairs uh, for our ability to understand our world. Yeah, yeah. There was a really interesting example of what happens, I think, when you've got such a an anemic news media this week, where um, Jason Kenney responded. He tried to start like a a, a little bit of a, a war with Francois Legault, so the prime uh, the premier of Quebec and the premier of Alberta. We have a, a CN rail strike in Canada right now, and the the premier of Quebec, who is the founder of Air Transat, like the guy is a, a boss. He's a he's a, a corporate guy. He was saying that the the strike in CN needs to end because Quebec is going to have a shortage of propane. 
Jason Kenny responds, Oh, you don't have a shortage of propane? Then you, you should support pipelines. And that was the way that this was put forward, right? Okay. Did, 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 did journalists go through how much propane is going through Canadian pipelines? Not really. I think I heard one mention of the fact that new pipeline projects aren't actually ex- importing or aren't actually transporting any domestic oil. Like it's all to foreign markets. So that doesn't really help us. But even more than that, you have a, a premier, Jason Kenney, whose entire like rhetoric has always been about protecting jobs and protecting jobs. And, and Rachel Notley hates oil workers because she wants the oil sands to not exist anymore. And I'm protecting jobs. Basically announced to all of Canada that actually he doesn't think that CN workers should exist and that they should all be fired and replaced with the pipeline. Right. So like there's this like major contradiction in how we understand the jobs and the and the oil, the oil industry talking points. And no journalist is cutting through them. Journalists are just like, oh, and then Jason Kenney said this, and then and then uh, Francois Legault said this, and then Jason Kenney said that, and now here's the weather. <laughs> it's like, and now here's the weather. <laughs> yeah, this is all super bad, and I and I feel like if we can kind of chart how bad it is, then maybe in the second half of this episode we can talk about like some of the solutions. Yeah, sure. I I just I mean one of the things that I really do think that needs to be discussed. Uh, however briefly, is how the the state of our, our news uh, affects our ability to engage in what's happening around the world, uh, whether that's in Hong Kong, the protests in Hong Kong that are happening right now, um, what's happened in Iraq uh, recently, what happened in Iran recently with protests, what's happened in Haiti, which I haven't seen almost any news about all the protest action that has been happening in Haiti, Bolivia. Uh, It's like Dominica, Dominica. What's you know, where what why is it that we don't have a robust news about what's happening across the world in a place where so many people who are living here are migrants. It doesn't make sense to me. There are obviously communities connected to all of these places Mm -hmm. that very clearly know what's going on. And there are uh, people who work in journalism from those communities. And so I just don't understand uh, why it is that our news media is so, so anemic on these issues, especially uh, because Canada is implicated in so many of these worldwide uh, interconnected global struggles. Yeah, well, we we went through the whole crisis in Venezuela with a very limited idea of what was going on there. Certainly, our government was very quick to take uh, to, to take sides in Venezuela, uh, the side challenging and and arguably undemocratically kind of trying to take power uh, over another side. I mean, we, we need analysts who are there to actually explain this stuff to us. And aside from CBC sending maybe two journalists or three journalists, like one English, one French and like a cameraman, like <laughs> we we didn't get much information what was going on in Venezuela. And of course, that didn't bode very well for now what's happening in Bolivia. I mean, the, the, the news from Bolivia seems uh, seems terrible. It seems like there has been a coup. And 
what is happening and where is Canada's reaction and and how are we supposed to understand how to how to intervene or not intervene in terms of the debate I don't necessarily mean I don't actually at all mean like proper intervention Um, Catalonia as well like Catalonia there's radio silence on what's happening in Catalonia in English Mm -hmm. Canada there's a little bit of discussion in French Canada because of course there's more connections with the with the independence movement of Catalonia um, as uh, with with Quebec independence but even that has not really been um, that that strong. Partly, of course, foreign correspondents don't really exist anymore at most of the major newspapers. They've cut back severely, um, and the ones that do exist are expected to to cover massive areas of the world that are not realistic. Actually, that it's just not. It doesn't make sense to have a person covering all of you know a, a huge swath of the world while they're while they're located you know hundreds of hundreds or thousands and thousands of kilometers away from what's happening. It has a direct impact on the fact that uh, the foreign policy discussions of all the federal parties is so bad, right? In the last federal election, like foreign policy didn't come up almost at all. Uh, the NDP's foreign policy is non-existent. The the Liberals' foreign policy is Christopher Freeland talking about some liberal bullshit that she seems to have like had come to her in a dream. And the conservatives uh, were like, yeah, fuck foreign aid. We're just going to cut it. And that was the extent of their foreign policy discussions. It's like, oh, my God. How how did the Internet uh, give us all this knowledge, but then at the same time supplant all of the actual knowledge? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's, it's like... This is uh, unacceptable. It's absolutely unacceptable uh, that we uh, are not able to have uh, a proper like debate um, as much as I kind of hate that construction of things, um, you know, in an election period about uh, foreign policy because nobody knows what's going on because our news media sucks. It's unacceptable. Um, similarly uh, with climate change. And so, as you say, like, uh, let's move on to talk about what people can do about this. But I do think, like, th- one of the the really terrible implications of this, too, is climate change. Like, there's it's climate change, the climate crisis. Like, the we do not have a, a good enough ability uh, to talk about what's going on. Like, I don't, I don't really understand... Uh, why it is so stunted in the way that it is. Uh, Even, you know, being here uh, uh, in Los Angeles where there's been uh, fires pretty close by, there's fires uh, out west in Canada as well. All these like random weather forecasts that are like, oh, yes, a hurricane has made its way up the east coast to to Canada and, you know, has uh, destroyed parts of Nova Scotia. If that is not connected to a discussion about uh, the climate crisis, (laughs) I don't know why we're just reporting on the weather like that like I, I it doesn't seem to make it doesn't make sense to me and it's all a part of um, what we've come to expect from media and what we've been forced to accept from media which is like not okay and I I refuse I I don't want to accept it anymore uh, you know and we've been refusing obviously that's what we're doing here but I I just think uh, that we we fucking deserve more yeah yeah, we do. So th- I think a lot of folks who listen to the podcast will know some of the problems in the, in the media um, that we've we've talked about this before. But much more concerning than just that, I think, is the way that critical voices are being silenced. 
And I obviously have a very um, major interest in this <laughs> as someone who like kind of constantly uh, faces this. But as platforms have shrunk, the access that those of us who don't fit into the mainstream uh, from the center to the left ha have to these platforms has gotten far worse as well. And rather than being like, you know, given a column or um, being sought after for an opinion that they know they're not going to get anywhere else because it's it's not the status quo. It's it's like by definition, a, a different opinion. Um, we struggle to even get published. We struggle to get heard. And at the same time, um, with absolutely no uh, support or like institutional help, we are massively attacked online. And the second you step out of line, it's just like this feeding frenzy to tell people to stay quiet and to not be afraid and and you know the last like we talked about this last week and I didn't expect that this shit would continue for another week but it has still been going on I've gotten a lot of messages from people who are saying that seeing what I experience what I go through is making them actually quite scared and I don't know how we fight that because that feeling of, of fear is what they want us to say and to feel and and that like policing us in a way to force us to self-center to not state our opinions to not challenge people to not challenge people in power like we live in a society where the the, the state doesn't need the police to do this <laughs> they just are like oh no everyone's already too afraid to do it anyway like don't worry about it just keep going with what we're doing and uh and and you'll have uh, those those critics silenced they'll be silenced by a thousand people telling them to kill themselves <laughs> like that's all it takes yeah, that's a huge part as well of, of what 2019 was about for so many people. It happened frequently and it's getting way worse. And those folks with power, those folks who have the ability to say, whoa, what is happening here? There's there's a these are forces that are actually trying to control opinion, control people's reactions and to 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 force out opinions that challenge the status quo and as a newspaper man I support everybody's right to say everything so like let's investigate this let's look at what's happening there's been fucking none of that none of that no no what the fuck no. man <laughs> it is absolutely unacceptable and um you know if you if you've never been trolled online like you can't really uh, explain uh, what that experience is like, but um, they can't be successful in making us uh, <laughs> shy away from making our no. own media. No. They can't. I refuse. I refuse that as well. But we have to. We have to talk about it because people. I think people are afraid of that. And I, I mean, at some level, like I said this to someone this week, like, what? What are they going to do to me? You know, like, what are they going to actually do? Like, are these these are these threats someone's actually going to try and come and hurt me? I mean, okay. <laughs> like, I dodge drivers every single day who also seem to want to hurt me. So, you know, we, we have to find the strength. And if you listen to this podcast, I really, really hope that you can hear it in our voices that we are telling you. You have the strength to be able to say you know what, that's not, I'm not going to let that get to me. I'm going to have my own ways. I'm going to ignore it or I'm going to laugh it off or whatever. And I'm going to continue to do the work that I need to do that brings information to my community because I see that there is a lack of information here or there or there, however that might look for you, which I guess is our lead probably into the solutions to all of this. Yes. And I mean, I as, as someone who has uh, also been 
uh, targeted online and have been witness to people who have been targeted online and provided support to people who have been targeted online. It's not always just necessarily going to look like uh, I have the strength to. Um, it's also going to look like uh, who are the people around me who can help me um, deal with some of this because, uh, you know, so much of of what we talk about on this podcast is related to having a really strong community around you. And if this is something that does make you nervous, I can tell you that having a really strong community of people around you is uh, the best shield and defense to the uh, amorphous white man mob who might uh, come after you for saying something as innocuous as people should care about other people uh, who are not just white. Yeah. Um, having having a community to, to say, uh, that's not a weird thing to say, or to, to check your Twitter when you can't, or whatever it is, like, that's the kind of thing that we need in, in making our own media. And it's the kind of thing that we need when there's mass media happening too and someone is forced to apologize on CTV to social for saying something innocuous like there should be a strong media community around that person to say fuck off you know and a strong media community around people like Desmond Cole when the Toronto Star says we have the right to offend you with our opinions and and put anything up which is something that the public editor uh, posted on on Twitter uh, not too long ago, and ironically forgetting that Desmond Cole uh, was once employed at the Toronto Star, wrote an opinion that offended some of the audience and perhaps <laughs> some of the people at the Toronto Star and no longer works at the Toronto Star. There needs to be a strong media community and community of people around to say, nah we refuse, we will not take that kind of action lightly. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the reality is that those journalists who still have those positions, uh, I know that everyone feels like they're going to be fired and that the second that they step out of line, um, you know, there's, a th- there's like 10 other journalists ready to take their jobs. And this is where like the most classic tenets of solidarity really must apply. I mean, fuck every single Globe Mail journalist that's, that, that signed that anti-union letter in the middle of the federal election because you motherfuckers don't understand what's going to actually save your ass when you're all fired, which is coming. I mean, we the, the only way that journalists are going to save themselves is by protecting each other and protecting their jobs in the faces of their bosses, not alongside the bosses. And so if you are listening to this and you have a good job and you're a member of a union and you work in mainstream media, you have to find ways to use the relative amount of power that you have relative to someone who has absolutely no power, a freelancer who's someone under attack, to speak out. And I I know like some of you do this, but we, there has to be like a, a formal way that we figure out how to protect one another, uh, regardless of what you think about the person's opinions, because the, 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 the truth is that the far right has got their network. They understand how solidarity works and they are protecting one another. They have places for, 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 for money. Uh, to, to, to grab money from and to pay for people and everyone else doesn't we're all in the same boat and you know the solidarity that journalists showed towards like the campus press when they were under attack by Doug Ford that was uh, really great 
And I think mm-hmm. it, it was great, but it was perhaps too easy because it was like a very clear attack on the free press. And uh, of course, that they won, right? And I think that part of that victory, I don't know if that if the if the noise that was made by journalists helped to sway the the judges' uh, decision. You know, looking at the impact of of that decision, because of course, there's public opinion that always plays in in decisions that are made um, in the courts. But that kind of solidarity needs to be extended all the time, and people need to to call out bad practices. They need to support people who need support, and they need to call out management and stop being so afraid of calling out your bosses. Um, doing that in a way, if you, you know, one person calling out their boss is in danger, 10 people calling out their boss is in less danger. And we need to start thinking about that in those terms. Agreed. So now what's next? What are we going to do about it? How do people move? Yeah. Like what, what, I mean, people are listening to this, like maybe inspired. I hope you're inspired to be like, (laughs) yeah, okay. I, I uh, want to be the person who, um, writes the really great piece about um, the struggle in Haiti, or I want to be the person who starts the the podcast that is going to inform people in Canada and track what's happening with climate change in Canada uh, and the climate crisis in Canada and uh, track the information and get it out there to people. What? How do we? What do we do? What? How do they move? What's the first step? How do they create? The first step is to find someone doing what you think you want to do. So if you want to start a podcast or you want to start a column or you want to start writing about a specific issue, look in the field that that might be located to see who is doing the best work that you admire the most and ask them how they do it. Mm -hmm. It's super simple. They'll give you ideas. If you want to do something that's technical, like starting a podcast, a podcasting person will tell you what you need to do for a setup. And they'll tell you like the, 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 the range of options from ultra cheap. That sounds okay to, you know, to like high level, um, more expensive kind of technology. If you want to start doing uh, dispatches um, from a country that you maybe you have friends uh, that you can that you can connect to in another part of the world and you want to start writing their dispatches, look to see if there's anything like that out there. And if there's not, there's a lot of free sites that you can you know, start doing this stuff and share it with your friends on on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and use those social platforms to be able to get your message out. If you're not sure that you're any good, start with writing Facebook statuses and see how people respond. Your statuses can be longer and you can actually test how you make arguments based on people in your news feeds reaction. And that can be useful because those are people who know you and they'll be able to be, um, you know, probably a little bit more honest with you. Um, And if they share it with other people, then you'll see people who are strangers maybe reacting too. Be in touch with, with your idols. Like, you know, the worst thing that might happen is that you'll find out that they're a dick and, you know, mm-hmm. that idols are overrated. <laughs> and they are overrated. <laughs> the best thing that can happen, of course, is that they'll that they'll give you an idea. They'll they'll extend a hand and you might actually find yourself in a place that you never really thought you could get to. Yeah, I think that independent uh, alternative media is going to continue to be more and more important as uh, you know, our world uh, uh, continues to be uh, in danger of expelling us all. And <laughs> I, 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 I really want people to know that it's actually can be very, very cheap to make your own media. And it can be very, very, very fulfilling to make your own media. And it can be really easy. It can also be really hard at times, um, but it can be 
uh, it's probably a lot easier than you would imagine if this is something that you've thought of and you're just like, oh, I don't think I have the ability to do it. It's it, it it's probably a lot easier than you imagine. And so I would say one of the most important things is to just kind of start. There's like, you know, sometimes when you have like an idea, there's like this like waiting period where you let it percolate and you kind of evaluate whether or not you're the one to do it. Or uh, if, you know, if do you even really have those skills? Are you really even um, qualified to talk about this issue in the same way that a journalist would be? Yes. Like, you know, uh, just just do it. <laughs> yes. Just jump into it. Um, you might make some mistakes along the way, but some, that is so much of what we need is a little bit of courage right now um, in in talking about issues because, you know, that's part of what's lacking um, in the decline. And so just start just start something if it's on your mind and it's something you've thought about uh, like Nora said whether it's a, a Facebook post or going to a podcasting workshop um, to, to figure out how to get that started or uh, you know writing a blog on what is it medium like what's there's all sorts of different platforms where you can write things that uh, are easier to share than if you were to just start your own blog the, the, the possibilities to make media right now are, are, are so all at our fingertips um, that, you know, in, in refusing what's happening uh, in the Canadian media, media landscape, just get started. Yeah. Just get started. Yeah, and and to also realize that, like as Sandy said, that the that these are, this, you know knowledge is not necessarily all that specialized. If you're in a world that you know a lot about something, write about it. And this is especially the case if you're involved with campaigns, because often with campaigns, people think about like the actual campaign work, and you know, are you have do you have organizational lists, and you're talking to people on the ground, all this kind of stuff. But but the 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 importance of propaganda from the left in our campaigns cannot be understated. Because the left is in such a state of decline and under such attack that anything that we can do to tell our own stories, to be able to make sure that people understand why are you fighting for this new bus line? Why are you fighting uh, in solidarity for the workers at CN Rail, for example? Letting people understand what is going on with movements is part of making media. And and in, even better, if you're connected with an organization that has some money, then throw some money behind broadcasting your message, telling that story or telling the story of the people that you're working with. That's really, really critical. If you're in a union and you're spending millions of dollars in ads for mainstream television, give yourself a slap and say, maybe what we should be doing is actually looking at a way to, to fund local media directly to tell workers' stories or to tell stories that challenge the status quo because the labor movement does have the money to do this. And the fact that no one has really stepped up to the plate to do it is quite um, a shame, I think. Like, get creative, look for where there does exist money, and start funding those projects that can really help shape public opinion. Because we know the right is doing this. Like, we can see the influence that they're having on so many different platforms. And of course, they're more connected because they're well-funded. And and, and uh, the, the direct line between, like, a, a, a proud boy piece of shit going right into the Conservative Party of Canada, right up through post-media, being controlled by the fucking funders of... of of uh, their of their major advertisers like these are really huge forces that we're up against but 
we do have a lot of power in how flattened social media has made all of our voices. And so write those compelling stories, share those compelling stories, make your own media and and let's like dream about what we want to have have done in 2020 and start thinking about that now rather than thinking about that in January 2nd and being all depressed that the new year's already come and you haven't started anything yet. (laughs) Sandy, I want to finish with a statistic that brings us back to an episode from two episodes ago, um, from a topic from two episodes ago. And I just want to see your reaction just to finish out 2019 with a classic, Uh with a classic Sandy reaction. Okay. Okay. So this just came across my, my Twitter feed uh, a statistic uh, from Kurt Anderson uh, talking about the fraction of all U.S. wealth owned by different generations by the time the average age of that generation was 35, okay? Okay. So in 1989, when the average age of baby boomers was 35, they owned 21% of all U.S. wealth. Yep. In 2008, when Gen X was average 35, they owned... 8% of all U.S. wealth. So the average millennial is not 35 yet, though some of us are. Uh, the average age will be 35 in 2023. Right now, do you want to know how much we own collectively? No, no, <laughs> no. It's 3%. So if you're wondering if why oh, everything my feels God. so shitty, it's because we are living in a class war and we are, we are going to, we're going to win this class war, but that's why everything feels really hard right now. Uh, why did you end it on that note? It's so, because it, what, <laughs> like, wait a minute. Oh, I guess we've got something to aspire to. Like, what, are you, what are you trying to do here, Nora? <laughs> Everyone's going on holidays and trying to, like, make us all sad. (laughs) I think, and I know you think, that we are better off when we can name the problems that we feel. Yeah. And so I'm doing that. Yeah. I like that. We do need (laughs) to name the problems. So happy end of the year to everybody, and uh, we'll talk to you all. Happy end of the year. Congratulations to the students. Yeah. Good luck staying on your exams. Thank you. And we'll miss all of you guys, actually. We will. We will. But we'll see you in the new year.